Welcome to the Metabolic MD. Health means everything. We all seek optimal health, but most of us do not know how to achieve it. Dr. Paul Kaladze has spent a career in the emergency department. Now, he helps his patients avoid ever ending up there. During these podcasts, you'll learn how you can lose weight and prevent and reverse disease through new technology, a modified diet, and the use of some new recently approved FDA medications. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical provider. Let's listen in. Well, hello there, fans of the Metabolic MD. I'm Terry O'Brien here with Dr. Paul Kalazic, medical director of the Metabolic MD, correct? Correct, Terry. And you know, we're in the middle of July, and you know what I'm sitting here thinking, Dr. Paul? What are you thinking, Terry? I'm thinking, what is insulin resistance? How do I get it? What do I do about it? And what is it? So can you tell us a little bit about what is insulin resistance? Well, actually, any time of the year is a good time to be thinking about insulin Uh, resistance. How true that is. So insulin resistance is the reason that most middle-aged Americans and older Americans are overweight. Uh, And it means your organs are resisting the signal of insulin that gets released from your pancreas. What does that mean, resisting the signal? I don't understand that. Okay. So, well, let's go back. Okay. So initially you asked, what is it? It means that if your blood sugar is a little bit higher than it should be right. for an extended period of time, insulin is the signal for your organs to absorb that blood sugar. Okay, but if your blood sugar is high, then your insulin is going to be high for a period of time. And when your organs have enough energy, they have enough blood sugar, then they stop listening to the insulin. That's what insulin resistance is. It's basically your organs saying, insulin, we aren't going to listen to you anymore. And the problem with that is, is then the blood sugar rises. The excess blood sugar has to have something happen to it. So it goes to the liver and it gets converted to fat. And that's why we're overweight. We're overweight from high blood sugars, not from eating too much fat. So as a proud diabetic, as we've talked before, am I insulin resistant? You are insulin resistant. Is a type 1 insulin resistant? Type 1s have a different mechanism of their diabetes, and they are not insulin resistant. Their problem is their pancreas doesn't work as well as it should, and they don't kick out enough insulin. All right. So we kind of talked a little bit about what insulin resistance is. I was 32 when they said, hey, Terry, you're a diabetic, right? Yeah. Which wasn't great news back when I was 32. Yeah. Um, How did it happen to me? Well, I'm going to give you an idea of how it happens in general to people. And again, why 30% of Americans are pre-diabetic. Half of those people don't know they're pre-diabetic. Right. And and another 12% are diabetic. So we're now approaching close to 50% of the American adult population having insulin resistance problems. Wow. Here's how we got there. Um, We were told back in the 70s and 80s that uh, we should avoid fat, that fat was bad, that you needed to reduce your fat, you needed to eat a low-fat diet. Food pyramid came out, and we were all told to follow that. And what happened then is we did what we were told. We just started eating less fat and a lot more carbs. And that's the origin. That's the origin of insulin resistance. When our diet went from 25% carbs to 50% carbs, because every time you eat a carb, 
your blood sugar goes up. And you think, well, you know, there are good carbs and there are bad carbs. But quite honestly, any kind of carb other than fiber that you eat causes your blood glucose to go up. And if your blood glucose goes up for a period of time, because now we're eating all these excess carbs that we were told to, to eat, that then your blood sugar is higher longer and that process of insulin resistance occurs and that fat gets deposited around the middle because all that extra blood glucose always gets converted to fat and that's how most Americans gain weight. So, okay, so here's my question for you, right? And I'm asking all these questions that have been building up over these years. Um, back when I was, you know, in my 20s, don't eat eggs. Yeah. Right? Don't yeah. eat them. Can't, they're bad. Yeah. Don't eat bacon. Don't eat, don't yeah. eat all this stuff. Yeah. And then you fill up on spaghetti, you fill up on all that right. stuff, right? Right. And, and that pushed me over the edge, would you say? I believe so. And I believe it pushes most people over the edge. And you know, for most people, their cholesterol is a much more limited issue than their insulin resistance. Yeah. You know, that's the irony of American medicine right now is that, you know, we go after high cholesterol uh, and, and insulin resistance is a much bigger problem for both, most Americans. I have people that come into my office and their cholesterol is maybe, you know, a little bit high normal, but their problem is insulin resistance. And, you know, they're on statins and all the focus has been on, oh, get your cholesterol down. Um, and, and really what matters for them is the inflammation that's happening to their arteries as a result of insulin resistance. So here, here's the other thing, another question I've been building up for years. Uh, how can the average person know they're heading in the wrong direction. Are there like I used to feel tired after I would eat, right? I'd become yeah. sleepy. Is that a sign that maybe my insulin's not being correctly distributed through my system. Yeah. I mean, uh, specifically what happens then is after you eat carbs, your blood sugar shoots up. Correct. The insulin then gets released, just like we talked about. A lot of times the insulin overshoots the mark and drops your sugar abruptly. So you have this great variability. Your sugar might spike to 170 and then it drops to 70. Right. And that variability causes fatigue, can cause brain fog, can cause a lot of other issues. Well, that might explain a lot of things in my past, the brain the brain fog. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. all right. So at home without a fancy doctor sitting in the studio, what should they look for as a warning sign? Okay. So in terms of insulin resistance, really just, first of all, being overweight, truncal fat is, is an Trunkle issue. fat, meaning fat yeah, around? Fat, fat around the middle. I can't buckle yeah. my pants anymore. Right. And, and then, you know, a lot of medical problems occur secondarily as a result of both obesity and insulin resistance. Sleep apnea, Sleep gastro, apnea. Interesting. Okay. intestinal reflux disease, yeah. fatty liver disease. You know, when your blood sugar is high, um, you also get direct attachment of glucose molecules uh, in your in your joints to your cartilage. And so you can get inflammation in your joints just from your blood glucose being high. So the only way to address that then is to get the blood glucose under control. And that can only be addressed if you get your insulin resistance under control. All right. So now I've gone in, I've seen my fancy doctor. He's in a white suit. He walks in. What test is he going to run to show that I either have this or don't have this? So the best test is a fasting insulin level. And I do that routinely in all my patients. Very few docs do that now. And this is, you know, the contrast here. It's like everybody's getting their cholesterol checked 
twice a year, but nobody's getting their insulin checked when insulin resistance really is a bigger issue. So I, I get a, sometimes I'd go in and get a fasting blood glucose. Right. What's the difference? Um, the blood glucose is the blood glucose, but the insulin level is exactly how your pancreas is responding and your organs are responding to that high blood glucose. So is insulin, is insulin like an enzyme? Is that something they can measure how it, much is it, in my bloodstream? It's a hormone. Yeah. It's a hormone. Yeah. So and you I can get, measure it. Yeah, you can measure it. Absolutely. I get a fasting insulin level, which is an absolute level on all my patients. And you can look at where their fasting insulin level is and how well it's controlling their blood glucose. Right. And for patients that have insulin resistance, you know, that, that insulin, pancreas is kicking out more insulin that the organs are not listening to, so the pancreas doesn't get the message. The insulin level is going to be higher, but the blood glucose might not be being forced down with that higher insulin level. We put that into a formula, and you can calculate an exact level of insulin resistance. All right, so now here's my next question that's been building up. A1C. Yeah. Right? To, to me... This is always a bit of voodoo science. Is yeah. it because they're measuring three months back how my insulin no, my blood sugar it, was? It's not voodoo science. In, a, A1Cs are a good test. Okay. So blood, red blood cells live in your system for three months. So How they, often do they get generated? Uh, well, they get generated constantly, but the turnover is every three so months. It, it takes three months to die. Yeah. So basically your bone, think of it this way. Your bone, bone marrow kicks out a new red blood cell. Yeah. It lives in your blood for three months and then it gets old and the spleen takes it away. Okay. Okay. So, so is it taking a snapshot of when that blood cell was created? How much, how much sugar was in it? What it is, is you take your total red blood cells yeah. and based on how high your sugar is, a certain percentage of those red blood cells will have glucose attached to them. Okay, if you got a low blood glucose in general, it's a small percentage of red blood cells that have glucose attached to them. If, if you have a high blood sugar, if you're running 150, 200 or higher, then a higher percentage of those red blood cells will have glucose attached to them. Your hemoglobin A1C is that exact percentage of red blood cells that have glucose attached to them. So if your hemoglobin A1C is good, at 4.2, then that means only 4.2% of your red blood cells have glucose attached to so it. So how do I create more red blood cells if I'm trying to trying to get my A1C down? Yeah, the way to get your A1C <laughs> down is to re reduce your average blood glucose over that 90-day period. Okay, because I'm wearing a CGM. I wear it religiously. Yeah. I love it. That's right? great. It gives me daily, hourly, by the minute how my blood sugar is doing. And I trust those numbers more than I trust the A1C, but maybe yeah. I'm just... No, following your numbers on, uh, you know, an hour by hour basis, a 24 seven basis is a hugely effective way to maintain blood glucose control. And of course, we use those to guide low carb diets. All right. So we've talked about what it is. What is insulin resistant? We've talked about how it affects you. Right. right. Now, what can we do? about it. Okay, so what to do about it to lower insulin resistance? There's a few primary approaches. And this is what I use in my practice with my patients when we help reduce their insulin resistance over time. So as we've talked before, first we bring patients in, we do a two-week evaluation, they wear a CGM for a couple weeks, we determine this fasting insulin level. So you, run, level, a blood you run a blood test? We, we run, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, more people need to be getting fasting insulin levels and understand 
understand their level of insulin resistance. Okay. And so we do that. We follow their CGM numbers. They wear a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks so they can 24-7 see their blood glucose. Um, and, and then we do an assessment of that data. After we review that data, we put a program together that helps them lower their insulin resistance and, of course, lower their blood sugar. And, of course, the primary focus of this program is also losing weight because when you lower that blood glucose, then your body is turning to fat as a source of energy. So those organs that were resisting insulin now look down and say, oh, you've lowered your blood glucose. You've decreased your carb intake. So what are we going to do for energy? Well, they look down around the middle and say, oh, look, there's a lot of fat around the middle right now. Let's use that as a source of energy. And so that fat starts getting broken down and people lose weight. So the mechanisms by which we lower insulin resistance and start burning fatty acids is a low-carb diet that we've talked about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And when we use the CGMs in a, then a therapeutic phase where people, you know, meticulously guide their diet based on the feedback they're getting from the CGM, low-carb diet. And low just, by the diet. way, I've, I've seen people do this, and it's not like you're eating... Uh, uh, you know, crappy little dry wheat crackers, right? It's just a matter of eliminating crazy stuff like rice yeah. and things that just have so much glucose Bread. that you don't even know that. Pasta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Low-carb diets are not a fad. You right. know, they've been around for 50 years now since Dr. Adkins. Yep. You know, you don't call that a fad. And they're effective. And what I will say is, you know, the reduced fat approach, the low fat approach, it hasn't worked. The epidemics of diabetes and obesity took off as soon as we went to the low carb diet and that has continued for the last 50 years. So uh, a very, I think, intelligent, um, insightful response to that issue is lowering carb intake. Okay. Um, but let's talk then what, what the mechanisms are which you lower insulin resistance and blood glucose. So yep. low-carb diet. Yep. So we target a specific amount of carbs for patients. We try and make sure they're getting enough protein as well. How many, just curious, what, what does a normal person eat carb-wise? If they're, they're, their BMI is normal, what, what does a normal person eat? So, well, first of all, BMI being normal is, is high for most Americans, yeah, right? Okay. okay. But the normal American diet is, you know, 250 to 300 to 350 grams of carbs a day. Okay. Some people are eating four or 450 grams of carbs a day. Our low-carb diets usually start around 50 to 75 grams a day. If you push that hard into the keto range, you hear the term keto. Yeah. Keto uh, Ketones are a breakdown of uh, the fat around the middle. So when you're breaking down that fat, you increase your ketones. But if you go aggressive keto, that's a keto an aggressive keto diet, that's about 20 grams of carbs a day. But most of my patients are, you know, 35, 50, 75 grams of carbs a day. All right. So we have the monitoring with CGM, right. the, the blood test, getting them on a reduced carb diet. Right. I like to say reduced carb because low carb just sounds a little bit too hard. Reduced okay. carb diet. <laughs> right. uh, and then you do strength training. Is that true? Yeah. Well, intermittent fasting is the next component because it lowers insulin resistance as well. Just so you know, okay. intermittent fasting isn't I'm going to starve for three days. It no. means I'm just not eating from eight o'clock at night to eight in the morning. Right? Generally, that's right. I Some of my patients do, you know, a little bit longer, 14 hours, maybe a little bit more. But intermittent fasting is just, you know, let's cut off eating 
eating at a certain time um, at, at night and then maybe push back breakfast a little bit. That's all that is. Yeah, I've been doing that for yeah. a long time. Yeah. yeah. Third component is strength training because strength training increases muscle mass and that decreases insulin resistance as well. So this is three things we're doing to decrease insulin resistance. Low carb diet, intermittent fasting and strength training. And the reason strength training works well is because you're increasing the size of your muscles, which increases the quality and receptivity of the insulin receptors on your muscles. And so you're soaking up more insulin, you're soaking up more blood glucose. And so again, blood glucose then becomes lower and the body turns to fatty acids as a source of energy. So two strange things you'll hear from me as a doc that you don't hear probably from your doc at your annual or semi-annual visits. One is don't worry so much about the fat that you're eating. Okay, right. we can talk about good fats and bad fats on another podcast, but it's like don't worry so much about the fat that you're eating. Let's focus more on your carbs. Um, and then I care more about strength training than cardiovascular training. Right. You know, I, it's not that I'm a nihilist related to cardiovascular training. People need to be doing cardiovascular training, but you know, you got four hours a week or whatever to work out. The vast majority of that should be strength training. Training because it lowers insulin resistance. And then, of course, for women, the more muscle mass you have will decrease your risk of osteoporosis. And also for all of us, as we age, it, we're losing muscle mass. So that has to be addressed. And then there is this issue of the weight loss medications yeah, as gonna, well. I was going to ask you that because I, I know if people are struggling, are they, they still not losing the weight that they hope to lose through fasting, through low carb, through uh, all this monitoring? you do have the option of helping them with some weight loss medicines. Right, the, the new FDA-approved weight loss medications. But let me touch on that related specifically to the muscle mass issue. Yeah. And that is is that when you're on these medicines, they, they can be good medicines. I do prescribe them for a number of patients, usually not out of the gate. Usually we're trying to get these lifestyle changes in place first. Right. Um, but the issue with these medicines, the downsides of these medicines are, uh, number one is that there's weight regain when you come off the medicines. Right. You know, as a doc, I don't feel it's right for me to say, hey, we're going to start this medicine on you and you're going to be on it for the rest of your life to avoid the weight regain when you come off. So let's just play this out. I know we, we don't have too much time left. If I lose 40 pounds and I go off the medicine, how much of that 40 pounds am I going to regain? Uh, generally, it's believed that you will regain 50 to 60% of the weight you lost. So I'm going to regain 16 pounds. Yeah. Or yeah. No, no, 40 pounds. I'm, said. I'm sorry. My math is not great. It'd be yeah. about 22 pounds. 20, yeah. 24 pounds. 24 yeah. pounds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that issue. And then 25% of the weight that you're losing will be muscle mass. It's not all going to be fat. And so that's where the strength training issue integrates into this. If you're on these medicines, you got to be doing some strength training because you, if you're, you're getting older, so you're losing muscle mass there, the medicines will cause you to lose some muscle mass. So you got to be doing some strength training as well. So we use these medicines as part of a comprehensive weight loss program with the components that we talked about. Um, and if patients, uh, have access to, if they're diabetic, they can have access to a Zembec often. Um, if they meet certain BMI criteria, they can have access to Wegovy, same medicine. Those two medicines are the same medicine, but Wegovy insurance coverage is very limited these days. Um, and it's very expensive out of pocket, over $1,200 a month. So just not doable. So we also have available a compounded semaglutide. A generic, about, basically. A, a generic, yeah. It's a little bit different, but it's a generic. Um, and we have that available at about a third the cost. It's not 
not FDA approved, um, but I'm not aware of any effectiveness issues or uh, safety issues uh, over the many, many patients I've treated or the many, many patients across the country that are being treated with this medicine. All right. So as we wrap up this podcast, if somebody's out there, they're listening and they say, boy, I'd like to talk to this doctor guy. Um, how do I reach out to you? Okay, our website is metabolicsmds.com. It's met- the word metabolicmds.com. You know, you, you can find me also on the on the website. I you know, you can go ahead and Google my book for more information. I'm on Amazon with the continuous glucose monitor revolution for non-diabetics. You can just Google that or my my practice name, Kolod, my last name, Kolodzik, K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-K on Amazon. And the book has all this information about what we have been talking about today. Okay. And then I see patients in Ohio, Indiana, Florida, and Arizona, either in my offices or by telemedicine. Right. And, and we do this two-week trial for patients. We let patients kind of see what's going on before they decide to make a long-term commitment. And what's a long, is long-term six months? Yeah, generally we, we have people do the two-week trial. We define their level of insulin resistance, define what their weight issues. Right. We, we, we look at other health parameters and then we, you know, we have them wear the CGM for a couple of weeks and then we put all that data together and we put a six month plan together for people. And just curious, what does the two week thing cost me if I want to sign up? Yeah, two, the two weeks is $350 and it's two visits with me uh, as the medical provider, yep. one visit with my nutrition coats, yep. two weeks of wearing a CGM. Those things aren't cheap, by the way. The, I, the I, CGMs? Yeah, I know, because I have to buy them all the time. Yeah, yeah. the two week, we, we provide people one free for that first two weeks of the program. Okay. And then the important thing is is looking at labs too, especially this fasting insulin level. And, and again, we look at lipids as well, but the, the money really is on the fasting insulin level and determining level of insulin resistance. So we have people get those labs drawn, and, and then when we come back together at the end of the two weeks, we discuss that data as well. All right. So as we wrap up, uh, anybody out there listening who's interested in talking with Dr. Kolotzik, uh reach out to him via the website. We will be back again here shortly with another podcast. This has been the Metabolic MD with Terry O'Brien and Dr. Paul Kolotzik. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Metabolic MD with Dr. Paul Kolodzik. Please join us again for the next episode to hear how your metabolic health means everything and to learn tips on how to lose weight and possibly reverse some serious health conditions. This information is not meant to be medical advice. Please seek consultation from your own medical professional.